All right, so 1 John chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2 is where we're camped out. Um, So John is exhorting his little children. He says, my little children. And that's a term of pastoral endearment. Um, uh, he, he really has a heart for these people, and any good pastor will have a heart for his people. Yes, Ron. Do I do have my recorder on. Thank you very much. <laughs> he knows me. But any pastor worth their salt will have a heart uh, for their congregation, for their people, and John definitely is one of those types. And uh, he says here, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. So he's encouraging them not to sin. You know, don't don't fall into that into that um, you know habit of sin. Uh, he says, don't adopt the uh, worldly permissiveness, the worldly dismissiveness. Don't you know guard yourself against that that attitude uh, towards your personal sin. Don't allow these false teachers to seduce you into a false fellowship with God that is so prevalent, especially in this uh, latter part of the Laodicean church age. And yes, I believe we are in the latter part of the Laodicean church age. Uh, I mean, you know, just stop and think about it. You know, the focus is on wealth, it's on culture, it's on comfort, it's on convenience. And oftentimes when it comes to sin, it's either excused or it's redefined. We rename it into something that doesn't sound so terrible. Uh, it's hidden. All of this stuff is to hide our um, the church. This this age is uh, pursuits for, for um, the temporal. And you hear a lot of this in this in this preaching. It's it's more like the temporal wealth is of more value than the eternal wealth. I mean, you hear a lot of that. Uh, culture is now the determiner of what is right and wrong. If, is that not true? I mean, it's it's our culture that's dictating to us what is right or what is wrong, even if it's contrary to God's word. Even if it's contrary, it's culture that overrules God's word. And um, those who hold to the righteous standard of God's word, uh, they're held suspect. They're considered the problem. They're considered, you know, the enemy. Uh, they are falsely accused of, of things that they're not guilty of. In fact, if there's any guilt to lay upon uh, folks who hold to the word of God, and, and, and that is that they don't kowtow to the social pressures. You know, they don't kowtow to the culture's definition, the woke standards that's being imposed upon uh, our current society today. So um, we need to be careful not to conform to current morality. Don't let society uh, give you the standard of morality. Where is, where is the standard of our morality to be found? Right here in the Word of God. That's where it's to be found. And so that's what John's exhortation is, is for the little children. He says, don't fall, don't fall under the beguiling spell of these false ministers and these false teachers who pretend to be, you know, preachers of righteousness when in reality they're preaching another gospel. 
And they are. They're preaching another gospel, a gospel that's more toward the less of the flesh and the less of the eyes and the pride of life than it is uh, toward true righteousness and, and the light that God is. So he says, you know, beware of this and, and, and you know, be on your guard, be on your guard. Um, now he also says here, he says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not and if any man sin. Alright, so he's not preaching sinless perfection, he's just saying be on your toes, be on your toes. Um, and we should, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ in all sincerity, then you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying, and you know what John is saying. Um, there's a group of all names uh, by the name of Abandoned, and they have a, a song, one of the few... Uh, contemporary Christian songs that I like, and I've made no bones about it. I'm not a big fan of Christian contemporary music. Um, but anyway, there's a song that they sing that I really like, and I think the name of it is Hero. Uh, but it's got a, it's got a stanza. Is the stanza what they repeat? Yeah, that's what they repeat. There's always that. It says, there he goes, the hero, the savior of the world. Here he stands with scars in his hands. With love he gave his life so we could be free, the savior of the world. I love that song because he is. He is, he is my hero. Uh, beloved, we have a champion for our cause. We have a hero. We have an advocate before the throne of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So again, let me read this passage, and then we'll get started in with our study guide and our lesson. It says in 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So on your study guide, John mentions three things about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He mentions his credentials. That's what we're going to look at today. His office and his provision for when we do sin. His credentials, his office, and his provision. So that first blank there with the letter A, like I said, we're going to look at his credentials. That's the word, credentials. And we're going to look at this one today, and then we'll look at the other two in in the future. Now, I use the term credentials uh, because for many, this is what is important. It's all about the credentials, you know, all about the credentials, especially in the religious realm. It's always about the credentials. And this was an issue that the Apostle Paul constantly ran into in his ministry as he went around planting churches and establishing believers in the faith. In 2 Corinthians 3, 1, he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You know, these people were looking for credentials. They were looking for credentials. 
credentials. And for many of God's people, a lot of the churchgoers, unless you have a diploma or a doctorate or some formal uh, citation of ordination, some official title bestowed upon you by those who also have an official title, uh, they're pretty much not going to give you the time of day. In, in their eyes, you're disqualified unless you've got that piece of sheepskin with a little golden seal on it from some institution, some educational whatever. Um, and this is what the Apostle Paul had encountered because these false teachers uh, began to infiltrate the, the churches that Paul had planted and Paul had established in the faith. And they were saying, well, Paul, he doesn't have any of these credentials like we do. He doesn't have all of these credentials that, like we do. And that's how these types of individuals work in the churches. They'll slip into a new work to corrupt it with their false doctrine, or they'll seek out new believers to deceive them, to neutralize them being, uh, being used of God. And what they'll do is they'll present this so-called credentials that they possess that qualifies them to be this type of person in their life. They do it all the time. Now, I'm not anti-credentials. I'm not anti-education. I'm not any of that. I believe in some things. I believe that you need to go through the the, the education. You need to go through whatever it is that you go through uh, to get the credentials in order to perform certain tasks or certain be involved in certain professions. I mean, I personally would not want somebody who has a, a degree, a CPA degree, uh, working on my appendix. Does that make sense? So no offense, JB. Okay. <laughs> so on your study guide, this matter of credentials is one of the means by which the Gnostics gain entrance and exert influence on many of the churches today, gain entrance and exert influence. They like to wave this sheepskin in front of folks. I recall a man, I may have shared this story with you, I recall a man came to visit our church, and uh, he asked what Bible college or what seminary that our pastor had attended in order to become a pastor of the church. And I informed him, well, he went to um, a shepherd school of ministry uh, that was a local uh, local church uh, um, school and that he got his training there as well as his training out in the field, like, you know, working down at the City Union Mission and stuff like that. And so he says to me, he says, so he, he never really is accredited from a Bible college or a seminary, and I said, well, not in the sense that you might be talking about. He said, well, that's not good enough for me. Hmm. And he left. He just got up and left, and he never came back. With some folks, that's what's important. That's what's important. Uh, when it comes to the, you know, when it comes to things like that, unless you've got this sheepskin from an accredited whatever, then when some people's eyes, then you have no business being up at the pulpit, right? Now, when it comes to the right credentials, let me tell you this. There, no, there is no one who has the right credentials more than our Savior Jesus Christ. Alright? Uh, and considering the advocacy of our Lord on our behalf, His credentials for such an office 
is of the utmost highest accreditation. John, turn to John chapter 12. Turn to John chapter 12. Yes, I'm going to actually have you open your Bibles up and look at a passage. John chapter 12, verse 27. And this is getting toward the close of Jesus' ministry. Uh, John chapter 13, he's with his men in the upper room. So John chapter 12 is really in, in John's gospel, the last uh, public uh, time that Jesus is, is, is dealing with the, with the people, with the multitudes. And in John chapter 12, verse 27, he, this is Jesus. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You can't get any higher accreditation than that. You just can't. You can't get any higher than that. Verse 29, the people therefore that stood by and heard it said it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. You see, that was a sign to the Jews. Hey, I am who I say I am. You're looking for signs? Here's a good one. You heard it from the Father's mouth himself. If you go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, we read, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. You can't get any higher accreditation than that. Now... If you're not a Bible believer, if you don't hold to the Word of God as your authority, that's not going to be good enough for you. Right? Well, too bad, too sad. But, if you are a Bible believer, if you do hold to the Word of God as your authority, as it is the revelation of God to to man, there is no controversy of the Lord's credentials, is there? There is no controversy. So, on your study guide... Jesus Christ the righteous. Credentials are the qualifications, achievements, personal quality, or aspect of a person's background is your blank. Typically used to indicate that they are suitable for something. Qualifications, background, suitable. Now I'm going to tell you folks, no other person who has ever lived, who is now living, who or who will ever live, qualifies to be your advocate in heaven before the throne other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There are others that will tell you different. Mary, the mother of Jesus, does not qualify. The saints, the dead saints, do not qualify. The Pope or even our pastor does not qualify. Nor do any of the angels qualify. Only Jesus Christ alone qualifies. Only Jesus Christ alone qualifies. Jesus Christ is righteous in his nature, his character, and in everything he says and does. 
It is due to his being whom he is that John calls him. Now pay attention to what it says here in your Bible. Jesus Christ, a righteous man. No, what does it say there, folks? The righteous. The righteous. That's important. Don't miss that. So on your study guide, there are Christian sects or denominations that teach its people that a mere man serves primarily as mediator and advocate between God and man, linking the human and divine realms through the person of Jesus, person of Christ. Mediator, advocate, linking. As one denomination teaches, did you miss it, sweetie? Okay. Now this is what, this is straight from one denomination. This is just one of many that believe this way. Alright, so this is on your study guide. Pay very close attention. Coming near to God is a priest's calling. Word calling. Calling. C-A-L-L-I-N-G. A priest's work is essentially mediatorial. Mediatorial. M-E-D-I-A-T-O-R-I-A-L. He stands much like a bridge between God and the people. This is keying us into what our job is. We are to stand between God and the world. We have an awesome responsibility. Do you understand what is being said here? This guy goes on. The English term priest comes from a a root word meaning first as in firstborn. This is not on your study guide. A priest is one who comes first or goes first. He goes and then others follow. Our high priest, Christ, is the first one in the presence of God eternally, never to leave. Now listen to what this is saying. We can draw near, but with our kind of character, as variable as it is, we come and go. We are like a ping pong ball bouncing back and forth across the table. However, we still have the responsibility and the privilege of drawing close to God. God shows, now listen to this, God shows in the Old Testament ceremonies. So what is that telling you where he's getting this? Works of the law. There you go. He shows in the Old Testament ceremonies that we are supposed to go in prayer at least every morning and every evening as pictured by the incense offering. Huh, who uses incense in their services? David said he went before God morning, noon, and evening. Then he goes on. Priest or first indicates a leadership position. Christ is our high priest. He led us into the presence of God. We, priesthood, follow him there, and we are symbolically very close to him there. Who's close to him? This priesthood. Okay? He goes on. This is, this is straight out of their teaching. But we are leading others. We are leading others. They will someday follow us into God's presence. Even as Christ's work made it possible for us, the priesthood, to get into the presence of God. 
So in the future, Christ's work and our work will lead the rest of mankind into his presence. They too will have the same privilege that we do. Listen to what he's saying here. So the whole church of the first fruits, that's your priesthood, goes first before God on behalf of the people who will follow at a later time. That's straight out of their teaching. That is their doctrine. You can't tell who they are? It's the Roman Catholic Church and all the other churches that go right along with it. Yeah, that's who it is. That's who it is. And I don't mean to be that way. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. (laughs) I'm so sorry. This is nothing short of the Nicolaitan doctrine. Right? Of, Re- of Revelations 2.15. So hast thou also them to hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. So on your study guide, man has taken upon himself by his own authority that which only rightly belongs to Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not only the Roman Catholic Church that believes this way. It's the Anglican Church. It's all those offshoot churches from the Roman Catholic Church that believe this way. Jesus Christ alone is the sinless one. Jesus Christ alone is the righteous, as in a title, like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right? So on your study guide, he is called my righteous servant. In Isaiah 53, 11, he shall, be, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He is referred to as a righteous branch, is your next blank. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. The centurion, that's your next blank. Charged with his crucifixion, testified of his righteousness. Luke 23, 47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Next blank. In righteousness he will judge the world because he is the righteous. Revelations 19.11 I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Right? Uh, the next blank. He will reign in righteousness when he establishes his kingdom. Isaiah 32.1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. Those princes could be Jewish believers, and those princes could be you and I. Could be you and I. On your study guide. The Antichrist will one day blasphemously... That's a tough word for me to say. Okay, B-L-A-S-P-H-E-M-O-U-S-L-Y. Blasphemously. I think that's a word. I don't think I made that up. (laughs) Okay. The Antichrist will one day blasphemously call himself God in the Great Tribulation. Right, Second Corinthians chapter two, verse four, and the false teachers. That's your next blank. And seducers, both religious and political, seek to take his place in the eyes of the people today. 
That's a sign of a false teacher. He's trying to take Jesus Christ's place in your life. Beware of that. Beware of that. And people do it all the time. They do it all the time. They they allow a man to take Jesus Christ's place in their life. Did you mean Second uh, Thessalonians? Second, what did I say? Corinthians. Second Thessalonians. I have it written right here in front of me. I can't even read it. Second okay. Thessalonians two four. Thank you, Diana, for correcting that. Yeah, Second Thessalonians two four. So on your study guide, um, he is Jesus Christ, the righteous. No other man, pope or reverend or pastor or any other high religious or political dignitary can make this claim because no other can ever or has ever lived up to the demands of such a title or even possess the character to do so. You know, that man that I just quoted was right. We're all ping pong balls. (laughs) We're always bouncing back and forth. Jesus Christ is not a ping pong ball. Amen. He is he is righteous, righteous. Yes, Ron, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say that the audacity of this guy to say that Jesus Christ, the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, is good enough to save the quote unquote priest class, and isn't good enough to save the rest of us. Yeah, is blasphemy. It is. It really is. It is. Uh, righteous is what Jesus Christ is. And righteous is what Jesus Christ does. And he is, he is, he is righteous not because he conforms to some standard or some rule of righteousness. Jesus Christ is that standard of righteousness. He is that standard of righteousness. Romans chapter 10 verses 3 through 4, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, which is, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He is righteousness. Everything about him is righteousness. Uh, Jesus Christ is incapable of being anything but righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.28-31 Paul writes, In base things of the world and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He is righteous. He is righteous. And honestly, folks, it is because he is righteous that we have any hope at all of salvation. Honestly. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If Jesus Christ were not righteous... His death would be no different than any other man's. Yes, ma'am. So, the line, herein lies the blessed like of the believer. That's what I'm, that's, that's the next blank. Okay. Yeah. Herein lies the blessed assurance of the believer. Because he is righteous, we are righteous in him. In him. Yeah. 
Yeah, that might be a little different on your on your study guide than it is on my notes. The next blank is this. It is not our righteousness or the supposed righteousness of any other due to their office that permits us to come before a holy God in confession when we sin, but the righteousness of another, our advocate with the Father, the imputed is the word, imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's not our righteousness that permits us to the throne. It is his righteousness imputed to our account that admits us to the throne. All right? Another facet concerning what John writes about Jesus Christ the righteous uh, is the view taken by many in the church today concerning righteousness. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once preached, The greatest enemy to the human soul is the spirit of self-righteousness, which makes men look to themselves for salvation. And I would add, even looking to themselves as acceptance before a holy God. Right? There are some folks who believe I am so righteous that, uh, you know, God can't help but allow me into his presence. And there are people who walk around with that kind of mentality. They really, there, there, there are. So on your study guide, not only is the spirit of self-righteous an impediment in salvation, but it also proves to be so in fellowship with the Lord as well. First uh, John 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's what John was talking about in verses 6 through, 6 through 10 of, of chapter 1 of 1 John. It's this attitude that people carry in regards to their personal sin. You know, I am so righteous, God's lucky to have me. And there are some folks that have that kind of attitude. It really is. I've observed among self-righteous individuals, they never seem to uh, see the need to apologize. You know, they can speak really meanfully toward others. They can speak down to others. They can treat others like dirt, but that's okay because, you know, they're so righteous. They're so righteous. Um... And also a self-righteous person, they have a way to turn the blame away from themselves onto others. They're really good about that. Really good about that. So I'm thinking if a self-righteous person will not apologize to a brother or sister, they certainly won't see a need to apologize to God either. That's not a good place to be. Not a good place to be. Now take note something else. Uh, John does not say Jesus Christ the best friend. He doesn't say Jesus Christ the compassionate one. He doesn't say Jesus Christ the tender one. He doesn't say Jesus Christ the model to follow. And he doesn't say Jesus Christ the woke one. That's why I have the rainbow Jesus there. He's not Jesus Christ the woke one. So on your study guide... One of the aspects of amoral Gnosticism that has become so prevalent in churches today is this personal accountability to Jesus Christ the righteous. I can pretty much live whatever I, however I want to live. 
and not have to worry about repercussions from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus understands. Jesus knows the way I am. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. You know, one of the primary issues that John warns his readers about is what others say and believe about Jesus Christ. It's on your study guide. How one perceives and thinks of Jesus Christ will influence one's attitude about the deep things of God, including one's personal sin in relation to Jesus Christ the righteous. Right? So you can wave your rainbow flag all you want. He's not pleased with that. On your study guide, if one holds to a Gnostic, non-biblical view of Christ, and that Jesus is woke and tolerant in the name of love, then pretty much anything goes in regards to everything else. And we're seeing that. We are seeing that in our society. We are seeing that in our churches today. We are. And it's interesting that you should mention Hillsong, because I'm going to use an example. Um, anybody who know who Bill Johnson is? Okay. Well, Bill Johnson is the, is the leader of the Bethel Church movement, uh, involved in the Awakening movement, a uh, big uh, revival effort in Australia, I think it, in California as well. And he was preaching, and you can find this if you look for it. He was preaching about the miracles of Jesus recorded in the four Gospels. And um, according to Bill Johnson's perspective about Jesus and his miracles, uh, Bill Johnson doesn't see a distinctive manifestation of divine power uh, given as proof to the Jewish peoples that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Messiah. But that was the reason for his for his miracles, as, as a sign to the Jews. And what was the last sign he told these Jews that they would get and they'd still reject it? His death, burial, and resurrection, right? Right. So, so that's what the that's what the miracles were all about. Well, Bill Johnson sees these miracles as an example or as a model for every Christian to aspire to. All right. Uh, according to him, this is Bill Johnson's own words. He says Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God and not as God. That's straight from his mouth. Did you pick up what he just said? Yeah, there you go. Instead of Jesus Christ the righteous, as 1 John 2, 1 rightly says of him, he's just a man in a right relationship with God. Alright? Now folks, this is where a lot of our contemporary music comes from. Lots of it. Sounds spiritual. Right? And there's a little bit of truth in there, but that's the way the false teachers work. They like to mingle a little truth with a lot of lies. A lot of lies. 
He continues, if he performed miracles because he was God, then the miracles would be unattainable for us. Duh. But if he did them as a man in a relationship with God, then I am responsible to to pursue his lifestyle. What lifestyle is this, Bill? To be a miracle worker? To receive glory from others? To wield power that only belongs to God? Huh? To make myself equal to Jesus Christ, the righteous? Because that's where it's headed, folks. That's where it's headed. Is that the mission of the church? Is the mission of the church to be miracle workers? No, no. Is that what the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned his church to do? No. These false teachers will always misdirect from God's will. Let me say that again. These false teachers will always misdirect from God's will. These false teachers will always have their followers chasing after a carrot they will never obtain. Never. Instead of preaching that Jesus Christ the righteous is the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, who came to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, he's now being relegated to the level of a man who is in right relationship with God. And these people just think Bill Johnson is, is all that in a bag of chips. It's a slight clarification. Bill Johnson is Bethel Church. Bethel Church. Yeah. Has he? Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad he did fall. He deserved the fall. Yeah, they always do. They always do. Um... But even still, this is where we're getting a lot of our contemporary stuff. Uh, He teaches that heretical word of faith belief that Jesus was a born-again man, that Jesus laid aside his divinity, laid aside his divinity. As he, I love what he says here. He laid aside his divinity as he sought to fulfill the assignment given to him by the Father. Assignment. He didn't lay aside anything, folks. Philippians 2, 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert he'd be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of cross. There's no laying aside anything. He picked up something. He put something on. Divine put on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Hebrews 10.5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared. Uh, prepared me. That body prepared for him was in fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve that the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, would come. He has come. He has come. And this is not an assignment. <laughs> I, was not, I laugh at that. This was a life and death rescue mission. This is not an assignment like a school or something. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And he did it willingly. He did it willingly. 
First Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That's not an assignment, folks. That's a rescue mission. That's a rescue mission. One of the watchouts, folks, as far as these false teachers are concerned, is they'll do, they'll do two things. They'll minimalize the person of Jesus Christ, and they'll minimalize his work of redemption. They'll divert your attention away from the work of his redemption onto something else. Onto something else. That would distract the church from her mission to reach lost men for Jesus Christ. And if you look at these false teachers and their false preachers, that's exactly what they preach. Live your best life now instead of going out and rescuing the lost. Yeah. That's what they do. That's what they do. Paul writes in Colossians 2.8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's nothing he laid aside. Nothing. Bill Johnson goes on and teaches that Jesus Christ had to be born again because he became sin. Because he became sin. No, Jesus Christ was without sin. He was out, he, he was out sin from the day of his conception. He was out sin the whole time he lived his life. He was out, he was without sin on the cross. He was out without sin in Sheol. And he was without sin when he resurrected from the dead. He was never without sin. Or, that's not correct. With sin. Thank you. Never. Second Corinthians 5.21 he made, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Knew no sin. That flies right into the face of the word of God. Sign your study guide. Just as the righteousness that is, that is imputed to Christians and justification is extrinsic to them, so the sin that was imputed to Christ on the cross was, a, was extrinsic to him and never in any sense contaminated his essential righteous nature. So somebody's going to ask, what's, what's extrinsic mean? I've got it right there on your study guide. <laughs> Not part of the essential nature of someone or something coming or operating from outside rather than originating from the inside due to its nature. He was the righteous. James gives an illustration in James chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So on your study guide, just as James points out that which is not in the nature of these things, to do contrary is your blank to their nature. So also with Jesus Christ, the righteous cannot become what in his nature he is not to say or teach otherwise is blasphemy against the righteous Jesus Christ 1 Peter 1.18 says for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot 
Why was Jesus' blood so precious? Why was his blood different from any other blood? It was God's blood. Acts 20.28 Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now if Jesus Christ was a sinner, that makes his blood impure. And then his blood would be no different than anybody else's blood. The lament of Judas Iscariot. Remember when he tried to return the money to the to the uh, high priests? Do you remember what he said? I have betrayed innocent, the innocent. There you go, Ron. I was getting ready to correct you. Matthew twenty-seven four, saying, "I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood, the innocent blood." If you want a profitable study, look that phrase up. Look that phrase up. The reason why it is the innocent blood is because it is the righteous, sinless blood of God. What a great price God paid for our salvation. Okay. It may appear that Bethel Music worships Jesus as God, but I'm going to tell you something behind the scenes. They've got a different perspective. And you don't pick up on that unless you pay attention. Unless you pay attention. So on your study guide, a diminished view of Jesus Christ inevitably brings about a diminished view about all else that pertains to God who is light, righteousness, and love. When sin does rear its ugly head to ruin our fellowship, John assures us that Jesus Christ the righteous is our advocate with the Father, and the same advocate is the propitiation for our sins. It is because he is Jesus Christ the righteous that gives credence, right, to his advocacy and security to us in being our propitiation. It is because he is the righteous that we have such great assurance. If he were anything less than like Paul, we are of all men most miserable. Just like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:19. The issue here is the personal sin of the child of light. And when you and I do sin, and we will sin, in fact, some of you are probably doing it right now, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, now you are. <laughs> yeah, and that's my fault. Don't be causing your brother to sin. There you go. There you go. But when we do sin, we have Jesus Christ, the righteous, as our advocate before God in heaven. Uh, that should make you shout. That should make you shout. First uh, Timothy 2.1 says, I exert therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godly, godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved 
and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's what we should be all about. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now when Paul wrote this, he was not writing to a select group of men to be ordained as priests to lead everybody else into the presence of God but he wrote to people like you and me man and woman, boy and girl anyone who knew Jesus Christ as their savior anyone anyone it is this faith in Christ that makes every man a priest in the eyes of God not after the Old Testament ceremonialism but after grace after grace 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's anyone who has received Christ as their Savior. Anyone. So on your study guide, I think this is your last blanks. The aim of the Gnostic is to seduce you away from God and his light that is in Christ. To minimalize Jesus Christ and his deity, who he truly is. Seduce, minimalize, and to steal away from you the assurances we have in his word. They want to shake your faith in God's word. You may have your popes, you may have your pastors, you may have your Mary and the saints. But as for me, Jesus Christ is my mediator, he's my advocate. He's the only one by whom I may approach the throne of grace personally, without the need of some man to stand for me between God and myself. I can go directly, boldly, to the throne of grace in the name of Jesus Christ. And so can you. And so can you. Uh, This is why I love the old hymns. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You may have your priests, you may have your holy men, you may have your dead saints to be your advocate, if that's what you want. But as for me, and hopefully for you, I choose Jesus Christ, the righteous, as my only advocate before the throne. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your